Beloved congregation, the Lord Jesus Christ, I think when you read through the Psalms, you can see your life. You recognize whatever the psalmist, whoever it may be, whether it's David, Solomon wrote some of the Psalms, or whether it's Moses, the sons of Korah, it doesn't matter. Uh, it, it, it speaks to us because we go through the same types of difficulties that we see the psalmist going through. And so we can really, then we resonate to that. We can really identify with what the psalmist is going through. David especially. David wrote about 75% of the Psalms. And so we find a lot of his writings, and they're scattered through chapter 1 all the way up to 150. But you find his writings and the difficulties, and they let it all hang out. That's what I like. The reality of it. The difficulties of troubles in this life. Now, does this describe you? One who is self-reliant at times one who is weak in faith at times, one who is fearful at times. It's a struggle with the old manner of living. And then, faith and trust in the Lord, repentance and a walk of obedience. And then here and then there, and then back and forth and up and down in the difficulties of life. That describes us. Now you don't want it to describe you, You want to think in your own mind, no, it's not that other, it's always this. And you would be a falsehood, you would be lying. You would not be telling it straight. We all go through that. Seems to be my life. The the fear and faith as there's a constant struggle. The self-reliance and then trusting in the Lord with all of your heart. In back and forth and how it's mixed up and the difficulty that you go through. And you realize as the Holy Spirit begins to convict you. And then you confess it and you turn from it. And you realize the lessons that you've learned from doing these things that don't work out in your life. And then you come to these Psalms and you say, wow, I'm not the only one. David was that individual. David was a man who trusted the Lord. And yet we see weakness in his life. David was a man who believed the promises of God. And yet we see troubles and fear in his life. Beloved, this is living in a fallen world. That's the realities of living in a fallen world and being only partially sanctified in this life. David in this particular psalm, you'll see the heading there. And I've told you this before, the headings are inspired as well. The Psalm of David, when he pretended. <clears throat> you ever pretend? You did a lot of pretending when you were kids. But you know what? As an adult, you do some pretending as well. You pretend to be somebody that you're not. There is that pretending that goes on within all of us. David pretended. He pretended madness. Have you ever pretended madness? Once Jay Adams, who was a reformed theologian, had done a lot of study in the area of psychiatry. Now he's a reformed theologian, But he did a summer internship through a Ph.D. program. 
examining people that were in mental institutions and found that a whole host of them there were pretended madness because of responsibilities that were neglected in their lives and they feigned, they pretended that they were insane. This is what David is doing before Abimelech. Abimelech just simply is a title that means father of the king. It has reference to Achish. Now Achish was the the area of, of one of the kings of the Philistines. So let's get the picture of what David is doing here. David is fleeing from Saul. He is afraid of Saul and David is all alone. David has no food. He has no companion. He's no longer with Jonathan, his best friend. He has no weapons. And so here he is alone. And he's fearful. So he goes to Nob and he goes to Ahimelech, who is the priest of Nob. And that's where he ate the showbread. Which is not lawful for any but a priest to eat. But David showed the necessity of his hunger. And so he was given the showbread. He was also given the sword of Goliath. That was kept there uh, by the priest at Nob. So David fleeing then from Saul. And Saul is pursuing him like a wild animal. Saul had a great disdain for David. He had once loved him and now he hated him with a hatred that was more than what he had loved him. It was intense. <clears throat> so David fled from Nob and he went to Achish the king. Now Achish, the king of the, in the Philistines, is having his, his, his kingdom... Thinking of the region, who else do you know that was from, he's in, he's in Gath. Who else do you know is from Gath? Goliath. David, self-reliance, fleeing from Saul, takes the sword of Goliath to the king of Gath, Achish. And he goes there and he wants to find asylum. And he thinks it's going to work out for him. So he shows up there, and the servants recognize him. And they say to Achish the king, Look it, don't you know who this is? This is the one whom the Hebrews sang about. Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. At that point, David, in fear for his life now, resorts to letting saliva, saliva spit, drool down his beard, and he began scratching on the walls of the king's castle. And Achish looks at him and says, what? I got enough mad men in my, my city. I don't need any more. Send the lunatic away. David pretended to be mad. He was in fear. When Abraham feared, he lied. When Isaac feared, he lied. When Sarah feared, she lied. When Jacob feared, he lied. And when we fear, we lie at times as well. 
That's what fear does to us. Fear of the faces of men. David, he does escape Achish, and he appears next, uh, according to 1 Samuel, in the cave of Adullam. And it's, it's thought that in this cave of Adullam is where David penned this Psalm 34. And in this Psalm 34, what you find is the Lord providing deliverance for his fearful saints. The Lord bringing comfort to his people. Do you need comfort? I need comfort. We live in a fearful world. Fear is always all around us. If we would fear the Lord more, we would fear men less. If we would fear in reverence, in honor, in obedience, the things of God, we would fear less the things of the world. If we feared, if we had reverence, if we had this reverential, holy fear of the sovereign control of God over all things, we would have less fear when things seem to be upside down in this world. That's the struggle of faith, isn't it? That's the struggle of the believer. Now, beloved, that the Lord delivers us from our troubles doesn't mean that we won't have troubles. That the Lord delivers us from our fear doesn't mean that we won't have fear. Just the opposite. That's what he's delivering us from. We are going to have troubles. We are going to have fear. We are going to have problems and difficulties in this fallen world. And that's what you find is the Lord again and again strengthening and delivering and comforting his people. And that's what David is writing about. Uh, The word deliverance is used in verse 7. It's used in verse 4, used in verse 17 and 19. So look at it in verse 4. I sought the Lord. He heard me and delivered me from my fears. Now the Hebrew term to deliver means to rescue. It means to pull or snatch one away from. How does the Lord deliver us from our fears? He comforts us with His Word. He speaks to us through His Word and brings comfort to the soul. And the the more that we keep from or aloof from the Word of God, the more fear we're going to have in our soul. This is what we need in times of fear. We need to fortify the soul so we don't fall into the fearful lifestyle. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear Him. It's a different fear. You have this servile fear, this worldly fear, and then you have a reverential fear of the Lord. There are two different things. We are not in fear of the Lord that I'm going to be cast to hell. If you are in fear of the Lord in that sense, you're not believing the gospel. You're not reflecting upon the gospel. You're not one who is mulling over the truth of the gospel. You're not laying hold of the truth of the gospel. Christ has taken our punishment. He has absorbed our punishment. He has endured hell in our place on the cross and before. So that we will never suffer hell. So it's not that fear that we have as the people of God. I don't fear coming into the presence of God. I don't fear worshiping the Lord. I don't fear the Lord's will. The fear that we have is the fear of the things of the world. The threatenings of the world. 
We fear when it's, it's going to be World War III. We fear when it says there's a virus and it's going to infect everybody. It's going to kill millions. We fear. We run. We fear when we're threatened by people. We're fearing the faces of men. When men say, you cannot preach against homosexuality. And men fear the governing authorities and they don't preach. They are fearing men more than they are fearing reverential obedience to the Lord. So one is like a slave and the other is one who is a member of the family. Two different distinctions in fear. And David deals with them. So let's, let's look at the text. <clears throat> he says in verse 15, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. Now, immediately, we need to get something right out of the gate. We have to get something straight. God doesn't have eyes and ears. David is speaking in what's called an anthropomorphic expression or language. And that just simply means in the form of a man. Uh, Anthropomorphic. Anthropos, man, morphe, form. The form of a man. He is speaking that way for our understanding. You know what it means to have eyes and to see and to scan the horizon. You know what it means to hear and to pick up sounds that are all around you. Multiple sounds at times. We understand that. And this is what David says. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. You know what it means to set your eyes upon something. This is what David is saying about the people of God. God's eyes, his gaze, his look is upon his people. That's a comfort. When the gaze is not upon you, it would be like I'm unimportant. I'm not even considered. But David is saying all the people of God matter to the Lord. And he keeps visual upon them. His ears are open to their cry. So he doesn't stop his ears. You know what it means to stop your ears. When they were stoning Stephen. And he began to say, you know, don't charge this to their, to their, for their guilt. Don't charge this sin against them. Um, and when he began proclaiming the gospel to them, it says they, they stopped their ears and rushed at him with one accord. That's what it means to, to be a deaf ear towards someone. You don't hear them. You don't hear their cry. You don't listen to their cry. It's more in, in that line of listening, of bending, stooping over, and hearing what is said. You know, you've done that with a, with a child who has spoken. And they said something, you didn't quite hear them, and you stooped over and you said, what did you say? God hears the cries of His people. That means His people cry. Do you cry? Do you cry out to the Lord? Do you cry in grief of soul? Hannah was one who cried of grief of soul. You find that in the New Testament. You find a grief of deep grief of soul of people crying out to the Lord. Do you cry out to the Lord? Where do you go first when you are of grief of soul? God hears your prayers. God alone can change the condition and situation that surrounds you. And he can also change the condition of your heart. 
So that I can view my circumstances, my situation in light of the Word of God and find joy even through the dark night of the soul. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 42 begins to speak to himself. And again in Psalm 43, why are you so downcast? What's wrong with you? Shake yourself out of that lethargy by believing and trusting and reflecting and cultivating the promises of God in your life. It's a crying out to the Lord. Lord, help me. Lord, strengthen me. Lord, deliver me. And this deliverance here is the temporal sense. Not of delivering me from all of my sins. It may be a result of sin that you're in the condition that you are. But he is not asking for salvation in that sense. He's asking for rescue. I am in a condition, in a situation where I am not able to get out of this trouble that I'm in. Lord, you and you alone can deliver me. That's what David is saying. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Think about that. This is the malediction. The benediction... The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up this countenance upon you and give you his peace. That's the benediction, benedictus. This is the good word. It's God pronouncing a blessing upon his people. His face shines upon us. For the Lord to turn from us and to be darkness is a curse. It's to be under the wrath and the curse of God. And this is what the Lord does to the evil, to the wicked. To those who are not in Christ, covered by His righteousness, God's face is turned away from them. He does not hear their prayers in the sense that He does not listen. He does not answer their their prayers. He's not obligated to any of the things of the wicked. He turns away from them, even to the extent of cutting off the remembrance of them. So that as generations go by, who? Who was that? Who are you talking about? I don't remember such a one. He cuts off the remembrance. He cuts off generations of people. But David says that the righteous cry out. That's why I ask the question, do you cry out? Who do you cry out to? Do you find yourself crying out and lamenting, not at the Lord, but to the Lord? Beloved, this is the Psalms, is lamenting to the Lord. There are so many problems and difficulties. I have this voice problem. I don't know why. You know, I'm called to preach and I can't preach with a voice like this. It's frustrating to me. Every sickness goes right to the voice box. And there's the stress, right? I've got to preach and I can't speak. Why? I don't know why. Who can heal it? <laughs> Certainly it's not the earthly doctor's. Because they've tried and scoped in and out and up and down and all around and can't deal with it. So the cry must then go to the Lord. But the cry before was to the Lord to use these secondary means to bring healing. So that I can continue to preach, to bring your word, to teach. That I want to have this frustration because it is frustrating to me. So I cry out to the Lord. You're not going to do anything about it. You can't do anything about it. I can't do anything about it. Ah, please don't come after me and tell me, take this spray or take that spray. So I think I've tried all those sprays, and they don't work. I know some of the elders will say, well, take a shot of of whiskey or something before you preach. The Lord hears. This is the blessing that we have because of the merits of Christ. 
God hears me. Beloved, who am I that the Lord should hear my prayers? Who am I that the Lord should answer my prayers? Who am I that the Lord would take notice of me? This is what David in Psalm 8, he just he cries out in that way. What is man that you're mindful of him? All things in this created order do the will of God. Except mankind. The revealed will of God, man rebels against. Who is man that you're mindful of him? I mean, the wind blows where God directs it. The rain comes down where God controls it. And here's man, made as the image and likeness of God. And I will not have God rule over me. I'm going to do what I want to do. Who are we that God takes notice of us? That He hears our feeble cries. And yet He does. He, he hears, He loves to hear the cries of His people. He loves to answer. You know, I have found in my life as a Christian, the Lord loves to have us in a position where there is absolutely no hope from anything around you. And you realize at that point, it is the Lord and the Lord alone who can deliver me and rescue me from this situation. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all their troubles. Notice that they are in trouble. David is in trouble. He's in difficulty. He is in straits. He is in problems. That's what the Hebrew term means. Troubles. Distress. He is in straits. He is one who is bent over. He is one who is dilapidated as it were. He is one who is hurting. He has trials. And it's God who delivers him from them. Oftentimes, what you find is God delivering them through the trials. Because, beloved, faith doesn't mean you're not going to have trials. Faith doesn't mean you're not going to have troubles. Faith doesn't mean you're not going to die. Faith means believing the promises of God that it's appointed unto all men to die once. Faith is recognizing that God is in control even of the trials that come upon my life. Faith believes that God is sovereign, that I am where I am by the appointment of God. Faith rests in that. Faith understands that if it's not revealed in the Word, you are not going to know it, and it is futility and a fool's errand to continue to pursue it. So it, it rests. Faith rests in the sovereign rule of God. I didn't say it's easy. It is hard living in a fallen, rebellious, God-hating world in a fallen body with still rebellion in my heart and desiring at the same token to be obedient to the Lord and to honor and glorify Him. It is hard. It is hard to live by the ethical standard of the Word when all you find all around you is rebellion and hatred towards God and criticism of you living as a Christian. Hatred towards you because you're in submission to Christ. It's hard. It's hard to do unto others as you would have others do unto you, not as they do. It's hard. It's hard to hold your tongue when people gossip about you. It's hard to not say something against somebody else when they slander you. It's hard not to want to defend yourself. It's hard living in a fallen world. 
But faith, trust, that in the end, the Lord will work all of His sovereign good pleasure for His glory and the good of His people. That in the end, there will be a reckoning of all things. It's hard, beloved, not to take revenge against people. We live in a world that says revenge is sweet. We live in a world that has a bumper sticker that says, don't get mad, get even. That's revenge. And the Apostle Paul says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. If your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. Can you see yourself doing that? Feeding those that want to kill you. Whether it's by the tongue or whether it's physically. Paul had many people that wanted to kill him. And he's writing this to do good to those who hate you. To pray for those who spitefully use you. That's hard, beloved. Let's be realistic about it. Let's be real in the Christian life. I don't find a lot of reality today in the Christian life. I find a lot of phoniness that goes on within Christendom. People that act like, oh, that's easy to pray for your enemies. You know what? Then you don't really know and understand what an enemy is. Or maybe you're not truly a Christian. Because if you're not a Christian, you know, the world loves its own. If you're a believer, you are going to have conflict with people. They are going to hate you because Christ dwells in you and they hate Christ. It's hard. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. Is your heart broken this morning? Has your heart been broken recently? Has your heart been broken in the past? Now, these are, notice, the broken heart and the contrite spirit. These are what we call Hebrew parallelisms. It's referring to the same thing, just simply using a different vehicle. So the contrite heart and a broken spirit is referring to the inward man and the grief that goes on within the soul. Broken, heavy, grieving, grief. That's what he's talking about. God is near to those. God is the one who comforts those who grieve. And how does he comfort? He uses secondary means. God could immediately comfort the soul with his word. And he often does that. But he most often uses secondary means. How is that? That means one as a believer comforting another believer with the promises of the gospel. It's coming to each other and comforting with the word. If you live in this world long enough, you're going to have a broken heart. Your heart is going to grieve inwardly. And it's going to be heavy. And you are thinking in your mind at the time that I'm not going to survive this. And yet God is near. God is guiding. God is comforting. God is consoling. God is applying that balm that brings healing to the soul. To revive you again. To bring you up again. Now beloved, it's easy when you're not going through it to give the platitudes to people. It's difficult when you're going through it. Be compassionate to those to whom you minister. Put yourself in their position and ask, how do you want to be treated? Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And if I was going through that, how would I want someone to minister healing balm of God's word to my soul? 
in a callous way. Sometimes it may be an arm around the shoulder. Sometimes you might not even have to say anything. You just need to be there for them. Take time out of your busy schedule to come alongside and comfort another grieving soul. God comforts in this way. Um, Think of this. Turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I I entitle this a ministry of suffering, which oftentimes we miss this. Verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able... Notice this. God comforts us, visits us, is near to the brokenhearted, and comforts us in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Do you ever think of your broken hearted, the spirit that is contrite, that is broken, that is grieving as a ministry to others? That God ministers to you in such a way that you are to reciprocate and minister to others and bring that same balm that God brings to you, oftentimes through another Christian. We have a responsibility to care for one another. That's why you find the unity of the body when the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12. If one weeps, the rest of us weep. Well, think about this. If you're going through a heartache and you are vowing to secrecy so nobody can know it, then how does the body then enter in with you and grieve with you? Now, I get it. I understand. We oftentimes don't want to say anything because there are too many people that gossip about it. That is not what we're called to do. We're called to enter in and to bring comfort to them. This is not an, a, an opportunity to be printed into the Clay County News. This is not for you to run around to the Legion or anywhere else in town telling everybody else with a big mouth about everything that's going on. It's for you to enter into their grief and comfort and console them. It's a responsibility that you have. This is not an option, beloved. And this doesn't go on because too many people don't know how to shut their mouth. And so then too many people don't talk to others about the problems that they're going through and the difficulties. And then we can't enter in with one another. So how do we weep with those who weep? How do we rejoice with those who rejoice? When we want to play secrecy. And that's the difficulty, isn't it? Because we haven't learned to tame the tongue. And so now then we don't have that body to rally around us and bring the comfort. What One individual has gone through this and this individual is now going through it. But he doesn't say anything because this one here now can't minister because he doesn't want everybody else to know. Why? Because it's the talk of the town. Sad. This only injures the body. It only weakens the body of Christ. And it goes on and on and on perpetually over and over. And it's like we don't learn our lesson. And that's the sad thing. It's a sad thing for the health of the body and for the glory of God. God has given us brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone through pain and trouble and problems to be able to come alongside of somebody that's going through those things and say, these are the things that the Lord has really ministered to my soul with. 
God saves, God rescues those that have a contrite heart. Where are you this morning with a broken heart and a contrite spirit? Take those things to the Lord. Beloved, don't delay. God hears our prayers. He cares for us. There are many afflictions that we have as the righteous. And God hears. God is attentive. God answers the cries of His people. It may be long. It may tarry long. But continue. Don't give up hope. And God will hear. He does hear. He will answer. He will provide for His people. That's the promise. Christ has merited that. It may be long. There's a teaching lesson. There's a conformity to the image of Christ. Come alongside one another. Rally around one another. Encourage one another. Some with a word. Some with an arm around the shoulder. But care. This is love. This is what Jesus speaks about in John 13. That the world would know that we are the disciples of Christ by the love that we have with one another. Love is not theoretical. Love is not an emotion. Love is a commitment. Love is giving. It's giving of yourselves to others. Paul says we not only gave the gospel of God to you, but ourselves as well. It's giving. We often get so busy, we don't have time to give to one another when we're in need. And yet this is often how God rescues the contrite spirit. The the one who is bowed down and hurting and aching within The world has nowhere to turn. Depression is a reality in this world. There are many of you that have gone through depression in your life. And you're able to help those who are going through it now. And you see all the telltale signs of one struggling with it. What do you do? Do you do nothing? Do you turn a blind eye? Do you walk away from it? A deaf ear to the cry? You know, when somebody has, we have in the world a suicide hotline. When somebody calls and says, I'm contemplating suicide. You know what that is? That's a cry for help. And oftentimes, it gets a busy signal. It goes unheard. And then we're amazed that somebody killed themselves. Many, abundant, that's what it means, abounding, Afflictions of the righteous. In this world you will have tribulations. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer tribulation. In this world you will have trouble. Count it all joy when you go through various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Tribulation produces character. Romans 5. Troubles. Many, beloved. One in this way and one in that way. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But God, not man, not me, not you, God, the Lord, He delivers Him out of all of them. There will be an ultimate deliverance from all trials, troubles, persecutions, sickness, all the contriteness of the heart, the brokenness that goes on in this life. There will be an ultimate deliverance when Christ comes and He consummates His kingdom. But the Lord also brings the temporal deliverance in this world. And how sweet it is when no one in the world can help you through your situation and the Lord lifts you up again. You're bowed down, you're broken over, you're grieving in heart and His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness and He puts a new song in your heart, praise to our God. David knew it and we know it too. And blessed are you who know to do well and do it. Not just hear, 
Not just speak, but do. This is what we find. God rescues His people and He calls us to be those that come alongside and comfort and encourage as well. This, beloved, is the balm that we all are in need of. Amen. Shall we pray?